This is the show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings, everyone. Richard Solomon, Taking Care of Business on WCWP 88.1 FM, Brookville, New York. In our continuing coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been trying to provide tools, resources, and experts on all kinds of topics, especially to those in business. So today, we have Darcy Knapp. Darcy Knapp, in my opinion, is an expert on the internet, web dynamics, web commerce, and all those things that really drive business on the internet. Uh, the website is seowebmechanics.com, and her name is Darcy, D-A-R-C-Y, Knapp, K-N-A-P-P. And uh, you can reach her at 518-872-1707. Welcome to the broadcast. You've been a prior guest before, and I, we wanted to make sure that we had you to sort of update given the new norm. So can we talk about all the new norms in internet-based businesses now? Fire away. All right. So everything's different. Everything is now, whether it's academic, whether it's uh, business, everything has moved to the web. So let's first talk about websites. What do people need to do as far as having a good website? Because ultimately, I'm going to ask questions about being found, but let's start at the basics. You need a website. What should what should your website basically have? And what are some of the just overall do's and don'ts from your perspective as someone that really focuses on marketing? So when you look at a website today, you have to think mobile first. So you can build as pretty as you want for a desktop, but between 75 and 80% of your traffic is going to be on a mobile device. So that mobile first mentality, you have to have it. You have to think mobile. Even if your business is dominated by desktop users, uh, in, in the case of my business, most people looking for information on websites and marketing are looking on a desktop, but 60% of my traffic is mobile. So if you don't think, you have to think mobile first. It has to load instantly. It has to be engaging. It has to work no matter what on every device, but it, primarily give the user everything they need to do to make a buying decision. Your phone number, your email address, your location, all the bits. If you're selling something online, a buy now button, a get a quote button. This consumer is never going to get past your homepage for the most part. Give them everything up front because they're making their decisions very quickly. Right. And they're, you know, the average sign at the average size of a mobile device, like a, like a portable phone is what we're talking about. Four inches by two inches. Uh, it depends on the device. I mean, you, you have to think beyond just the phone. You have to also look at every different tablet configuration. And then you look at the XL phone. So I have a iPhone 10, but there's a 10X that's the whole size bigger because it operates like a tablet. Right. But I'm, I'm, I'm like, what I'm focusing on is that you got, you have to assume that the smallest screen is what you have to cater to no matter what. And your homepage on desktop might have 10 different elements. On mobile, it needs to be streamlined. Right. Give them what they need. Give them what they want. Give them the ability to buy or book. Because either they're going to buy, they're going to book, or they're going to exit. Now, I, I remember a long time ago reading that if you don't really capture the user in the first eight seconds or so, you're not going to hold them. Is that more or less true? Four seconds to make a first impression. Wow. <laughs> so it's even and, worse. Yeah, and, and, and that's if your site loads fast enough to catch that impression. If your site takes eight seconds to load, they've already exited. Right. Uh, yeah. So for the average small business, I don't care who you are, where you are, what your website looks like, how great it is, how horrible it is. doesn't matter. The average website loses 67% of its traffic. They bounce. So as a small business, if you want to grow your business, you don't need more traffic. You just need to keep the traffic you have. You're only keeping a third of your traffic. If you could keep two-thirds or, let's say, three-quarters of that traffic and engage with those people, you can do that without buying more traffic. You can do it without paid search, but you have to make that website super slick, super fast, super clean on mobile. In terms of content, 
is it better to have maybe more than one website if you have too many lines of business? Not if they're different businesses, yes. Because um, because one of the things I'm worried about is sort of internet clutter. Let's say let's say you're a tax firm and you do audits and appeals and uh, sales. You're going to want to capture all of that content in your primary website because that website needs that content to rank for all those services. Okay. Could you you, elaborate that when you you talk about ranking? What does that mean? Okay. So when we look at what it takes for a website to show up on the first page of search, because let's face it, if you're not on the first page, you don't exist. Uh, If you're on the first page of search, you need content for every phrase you're trying to rank for. So that accountant that wants to rank for bookkeeping services in Boise, Idaho, because that's where he's located, he needs a page on his website about bookkeeping services or Google won't see him as credible. Now, if he's also going to do, let's say he's going to do CEO consulting, totally separate from his accounting business, he's going to go in and do CEO, CFO consulting. That could have its own website because that's a totally different animal. Now, I, I once saw one of my clients, and he showed yep. me, he showed me a, 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 a proposed website. And the first thing I said is, you have too many large pictures because pictures don't really show up anywhere. It, was, that, was I correct in that assumption when I said that? Uh, if it was recently, no, because every image gets indexed by Google and does show up in Google image search. Even if it's a stock image? Of just yep, they all people? still show up. Right. Uh, they all still show up. But the trick with a website is you have to compress the images because if you don't compress them, and it's not the physical size, it's the file size. You have to compress the files so that the images load quickly. You need pictures to engage the users. If all you have is content, they get bored, they wander away. You've got to hit a balance between what's the user looking for, how do you make your point, you know, and beyond stock photos, get some video out there because people share video, they watch video. They post it to their Facebook. I mean, it's, if they post it to Instagram, it's everywhere. So like, when you look at what's the most popular video, it's something that's a how-to. How to mow your lawn, how to clip your dog's toenails. I don't care what it is. People how- are asking their hand, find me a solution, how-to, and those videos are showing up. How to cut your, hair, your own hair during a quarantine. <laughs> yes, how not to cut your hair during quarantine. Exactly. That's probably more popular. Some pretty bad haircut videos out there. But again, you just have to make that homepage engaging, which means pictures, it means video, it means content. But understand when you drop to mobile, depending on the platform you're in, you can usually call out content, call out flat images, set your mobile to be streamlined. All right, so now that we've talked about making your website Bigger, better, stronger, faster. Let's talk about the whole ecosystem that websites exist in. There's all this social media out there and there are search engines. Could you describe that that ecosystem and what's dependent on what and what drives what? So you have to look at search engines separately from social media. Because what you have to keep in mind is a search engine can only index content that is available publicly. So social media content is not public. It's behind the login and the password. So the search engines cannot index it. The only thing a search engine can index on Facebook is your business page name. So if you're facebook.com slash SEO web mechanics, in my case, that page can be indexed, except that when you click the link, you can't read the content if you're not logged into Facebook. So that page is never going to rank beyond the business name because the search engines can't get to the content. They don't have a login and a password. And when you look at social media for search, you're not going to go into Facebook and type in Italian restaurant near me because you're not going to get an Italian restaurant near you. You're going to get businesses that have the name Italian restaurant in them. Okay. 20 states away. It doesn't work that way. People don't use Facebook to find a plumber. They use Google. They use Facebook to ask their friends and acquaintances, hey, I'm looking at hiring a plumber. Can you give me ideas? And they ask for referrals. It's very different than if your bathroom is flooding and you need a plumber. You're going to Google and saying, 24-hour emergency plumber near me. And you're probably not typing it. You're literally saying it to your, whether it's your Echo Dot, your Amazon Bot, your iPhone Siri. You're, you're talking. It's so much voice-activated search today. 
half of all search is voice. So you have to take it to the next level. 400 million searches a day done on Google. 75% are mobile. 50% of those are voice activated. So you're talking 40, 40 to 50,000 searches a day. If you've got the question and the answer in a video, you can show up. Are people more likely to go to short videos for their solutions than some other kind of solution response content? So when we look at video overall, if you're going to put video advertising media, keep it under a minute because people have no attention span. If you're putting it on your website and it's an instructional video, how to do your cutting during a pandemic at home with a pair of scissors and a soup bowl, it doesn't matter if it's 20 minutes long because someone's gone to your website specifically to watch that whole video or they've gone to YouTube specifically to watch that how-to video and they're going to watch it. But in general search, when you're running ads, keep it short. Now, in terms of the ecosystem, how important is it to have the whole panoply of YouTube, Instagram, Facebook? I don't know. What, 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 what are all the other ones? So, uh, so when you look at the primary players, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Google+. You need to be everywhere because you can't afford to miss a platform. It's free to put a page up. You can't afford to miss a platform because you don't know where your customer is going to be searching, where your customer is going to be asking for referrals, how your customer wants to search. Do they want to watch video? Do they want to look at a listing? Do they want to read reviews? Are they going to Yelp? Are they going to Google Plus? And for all the rigmarole around Google Plus, Google Plus for people went away. Nobody used it. Google Plus for business is alive and strong. It's google.com slash business. That's the Google Maps page. You want to make sure that it has, is as robust as possible. Fill in every single box, put up pictures, put up video. That page is what most people are going to find in an organic search if they're looking for you. Shows up on the right-hand side really big. Now, do you want your feel, your presence, on all these platforms to have the same kind of style? Or yeah. do you want to focus it more on the actual no. platform so it's more no. platform-friendly? Branding. So it is all branding. Same yeah. logo on your business card, on your stationery, on your website, on your social pages. You want branding consistency. Right. So let's talk about, just for the people who don't know, what is what does – like – I. Instagram, let's talk about, I know what some of these do, but let's, let's talk about that from a more of a micro level. Twitter is sort of what, like a press release platform of, you know, limited number of characters? Um, not like it used to be. Twitter, Twitter is an 18 to 24 demo. It's very young. The 18 to 24, even the 12 to 24 demo, they're leaving Facebook because they don't want their parents to know what they're doing. So they go to Twitter. So their friends know what they're doing and their parents don't. Okay. It's very young. It's very hip. It's very annoying to some of us, but that's okay. If it gets your message out, that's all that matters. Okay, so and if you don't have followers, no one's seeing your message anyway. But you still want to be there so that when a prospective customer is Googling for your business and they are a Twitter fanatic, they're going to go to your Twitter slash business page before they go to your website because they are Twitter fanatics. If they're Facebook fanatics, they're going to go to your Facebook page first. It's where they are most comfortable making a buying decision. And it may not be your website. They may want to be on YouTube. Right. So obviously we know that YouTube is just basically videos of different sizes um, that that are uploaded. Uh, what's the statistic, if you know, on, on YouTube? There's... I mean, there's got to be like a million videos uploaded almost every day. Oh, it's, something, it's, it's something like 400,000 hours of video are uploaded on a daily basis. It's a crazy number. Yeah. All right. Instagram. What is Instagram and how is it Instagram, unlike YouTube, is dominated with photos, except now you can put all kinds of stuff on Instagram. You can put video up there. So Instagram is a, is a place where you go to share information whether it's video, whether it's pictures, whether it's recipes, it doesn't matter. You're out there to share your information. The search works, again, by username and profile name 
it may or may not, if you type in local Italian restaurant, find you anything that's actually local. But that's okay. It's there for data sharing. If your potential customer is very big on Instagram and they have companies and people they follow and that is their world, you need to be there too. You need to show them you're just as cool as they are. All right. So Facebook. Facebook is essentially? Facebook is the bomb. If you're not there and you have a business, you're missing the boat. Okay. And and how much of the boat are you missing when, when you miss that boat? The whole boat? Uh, a lot of it because you'll have people that will go to your website, not see your Facebook connection and walk away because if you're not on Facebook, they don't think you're real. It's very interesting. 20 years ago to be in business, you needed a business card. 10 years ago, you needed a website. Today, you need all, all your social media pages. You, well, you know, it's interesting. When I, when I first started out doing radio, I was at the station and someone said, ah, are you on MySpace? I said, no. And they're like, <laughs> MySpace? If you're not on MySpace, you're nothing. Okay. And, so and, and MySpace, because they had limited security and a lot of scary people on it, lost their footing to Facebook. Right. So then, then what happened to continue the story? We only have two minutes in this segment, but then they said, I think it was the same person. Are you on Facebook? I'm like, no, oh, oh you're nothing without Facebook. <laughs> so, so I got Facebook. And then they were like, are you on YouTube? No. If you're not, so, so it, 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 it's like every few years, it was sort of, if you're not on this, you're nobody. So it became, if you're not on, if not on Instagram, you're nobody. If you're not on Twitter, you're nobody. So is that basically true, except for the fact that nobody really is on MySpace anymore? Um, again, social media provides you a place to put your information, especially if you're a small business, where consumers can find you, where people can share your information. Where if I ask for recommendation for that Italian restaurant locally, and my cousin sees my post and he posts back, hey, go to ABC Italian Restaurant, he can hyperlink that to their page. Now I can go to their page right from his referral. I can see all their information. I can see their menu. I can see their pictures. I can look at pictures of food that people have posted. And I can make a buying decision without ever going to their website. All right. So it's just about how are you going to best interact in the right media to reach a particular consumer so you can capture them, understanding that not every consumer is the same and you want to capture all of them, many as possible. All right, this is Richard Solomon with Darcy Knapp, 518-872-1707. We will be right back. Richard Solomon and Darcy Knapp. What, Darcy, let's have all that contact information for you. Uh, if you just Google for me, Darcy Knapp, A like kangaroo, N like Nancy, A like apple, P like Peter, P like Peter, you'll find me everywhere. And and by the way, that's true because <laughs> this is what she does for a living. Okay, so uh, 518-872-1707. The website is seowebmechanics.com. And of course, you could just give her a quick Google. Okay, so we kind of went through some of the basics, the nuts and bolts. I always like to kind of have the people do it very linear so we know exactly um, what the content is uh, and where we're headed. So now we're at the point where how do I get found? So there's the organic searches. There's the paid-for searches. There's keywords. Could you first give us all the vocabulary that is involved in this this category of information? Okay, so you've got... It's a split market. You have SEO, which is search engine optimization. Optimization is about doing the things on your website that will get your website credibility so that Google will rank you organically. And then there's SEM, which is search engine marketing. Search engine marketing requires a capital investment. It's a pay-per-click environment. Uh, Pay-per-click can be done on everything from your social media to your YouTube to Google to Yahoo to Bing. And you're paying for the traffic. The downside to paying for traffic is the caliber of the traffic is generally a lower quality than the organic because you've got people with fat fingers, not necessarily your exact target audience clicking, so you want to be careful on how you spend your paid search budget. Your organic budget, beyond just getting your website set up for success, 
is going through all your social media profiles. Even though they can't be indexed, you still want all your data filled in. You still want to make sure your website is listed on every social profile possible and that's listed properly. You can't just put mywebsite.com. It has to be HTTPS colon slash slash mywebsite.com or it's not going to hyperlink. And the whole goal is to create those backlinks from those social pages, from any place you're posting on a blog, on a news site, create those backlinks to drive your website's overall credibility. All right, so let's talk about something that all of us see. You're on Facebook and they say, oh, you know, the, the best face shield for the epidemic. And it, and it's a, I assume that's a sponsored ad because they're not a friend. Um, how, does that, how does that work? And, and and how did they decide who gets to see it? So pay-per-click on Facebook. You're going to set a budget, a daily budget. You're going to set your parameters for your ad, who should be seeing your ad. Um, never accept Facebook's default, which is the entire country, 24 hours a day, anybody breathing. You want to get a little more specific. Uh, if you're selling face shields for the pandemic, you probably want to be talking to an audience probably at least 18 and over. And you probably want to be talking to people in certain employment categories where it's going to be an important factor. How does Facebook know who to target? Um, when you create your Facebook account, you're giving them a ton of information. They know how old you are. They know ethnicity in some cases, other languages spoken. There's a lot of data that's already in Facebook. So you can choose people that in, in the last six months have changed their profile to got engaged. So if you're the wedding photographer, those are the people you want to talk to. Yeah, if, you, if, you're, if you're the dog groomer, you want to talk to people at least have a dog in the household. <laughs> yeah. So talking to everybody is useless. If they don't have a dog, you're wasting your advertising dollars. And when you talk about budgets, what is the smaller budget level? And because you know, everybody's cost conscious now. Sure. What, so let's let's talk about the, the cost dynamics. Let's do that. Because so you have to look at each property individually. They are very different. So if we're looking at Facebook, you can do as something as, sim as simple as boost a post for three days for five dollars. So what do you mean by boost you, a post? Like what? Is so that when do? you put something when you put something on Facebook and you're a business, yeah, you posted something to your page. You posted that you're having a sale on your face masks. Okay. You can boost that post, and you can pick an audience. So you can say, I want to boost this post to 35, 64 that work at a hospital and that are within X mile radius. Because, again, you don't want the whole country. Because especially if you're doing e-commerce, you don't need Alaska and Hawaii. It costs twice as much to ship. So you have to think. If you're on YouTube, you're talking three or four cent clicks. A dollar goes a long way. On Facebook, you might need a $10 a day budget to make a difference. Now, what is the return on that investment? And how that's do you decide whether that's a good return or not? So when we look at Facebook marketing, Facebook marketing, unless you are e-commerce, should only be considered brand development, brand awareness, creating top of mind. Facebook is about building your brand, not selling your service. Because again, people don't go to Facebook to look for an accountant or a plumber or a doctor, but they're going to see those ads that are related to what they've searched for, related to what's in their profile, related to other ads they've clicked on, and top of mind. is that You see the same plumber's ad over and over and over again, and six months later you have a pipe burst, and you know, gee, Roto-Rooter's been running ads on my page for years, I better call them because I have a plumbing problem. You think of them first because they've created top of mind awareness. If you're trying to, if you're selling e-commerce, then you want to buy your target audience and you're judging ROI at that point based on number of sales. And you have to remember Facebook is a giant playground. People aren't there necessarily to go shopping. Not that they won't, but that's not what they're there for. So if you're trying to sell purple widgets, you would do better on Google Shopping at 20 or 30 cents a click to get people actually looking to buy purple widgets than trying to reach an audience based on education, income, and environment 
at two or three dollars a click. You have to know what you're selling and know where you can get your best ROI. So obviously what you're kind of saying is you have to really know your own audience. And first. if you don't know your audience, email me, call me, we we'll, we'll give you we're doing COVID nineteen free minutes. So if you <laughs> need nineteen minutes of consulting time, we will give it to you for free. You don't have to be a customer. Um I would rather you make the right decision before you become a bad airplane story. I don't want to hear how Google took all your money. If you put it in the wrong place, Google will take all your money. With these budgets, can you, is there a way to sort of cap it and reassess and, and keep going? How do you, so with how do Facebook, you... each campaign and each boost has its own budget. You can set a lifetime budget. You can set a daily budget. Same with Google. You rush it. Google will let you have an unlimited budget. I would never recommend an unlimited budget. Okay, you, you budget what you can afford. If your budget is $10 a day and that's all you can afford, you belong on Google. If it's e-commerce, Google Shopping, and maybe put a dollar of that $10 a day budget into YouTube, put a video out, how to use your product. Is it two or three cents a click? You can't afford not to buy those extra clicks. There's all kinds of, of marketing techniques. There are about a dozen different kinds of ads you can run within the Google interface, just in Google. So if you're the plumber, you want to be running call ads, and you want to be running them in Google Maps so when people are looking for a plumber, they can find you. Uh, if you're e-commerce and you're selling your purple widgets, you want to be in Google Shopping because you're talking 20, 30, 40 cent clicks. And if you have a how to use your purple widget video on YouTube, those are two, three, four cent clicks, about 10% of the cost. You're not going to fight Amazon at $4 a click to buy search ads because you can't generate ROI when Amazon is selling it for less and giving free shipping and free returns. Oh, yeah. And that's a big selling point. That is. So you really yeah. need to talk to somebody that understands the marketplace before you just arbitrarily decide to throw money at a search engine or throw money at a social media platform. It's all about spending smart today. And for the small business that hasn't been in the arena before, get some education. We've got all kinds of tutorial videos on the website. Go go watch videos all day long. Okay. Uh, learn how to use Google Ads. Learn how to use Facebook marketing. It's, there's videos out there. They're free. The longest one, I think, is 17 minutes. Invest a little time and get some basic education before you just throw money at a search engine or throw money at Google. So let's. And if you're going to throw money, throw it at Google. Don't throw it at Yahoo and Bing because they only have about five percent of search. So let's let's talk about something. I I, I was you know you, you know how you are in the backyard with a bunch of people yep. before the pandemic, <laughs> and <laughs> and someone will point something out. So there was a a thing that I remember with a bunch of people, and someone said, you know, I always get this ad, and it was an ad for some kind of shake. Let's just leave it like that. Okay. And then when they actually looked at it, it's, oh, the shake makes you smarter and stronger and this and that. And then they clicked on the review or they or they independently looked up the – maybe that's what they did. They independently looked up the product, not by the links, but trying to see what the product – you know, like uh, the Girk Bean drink. So you look under Girk Bean drink reviews. And then there were all these negative things that said, oh, you know, Girk Beans are nasty. They're only grown uh, – in cement and uh, they, they don't really provide any nutrition and that kind of thing. So how do you deal with all of that, both from an offensive point of view and as a defensive point of view? So the two dominant places you're going to see reviews, Google on your Google Maps page, your Google business page, and Facebook on your Facebook business page. Both of them give you the opportunity to respond to someone that leaves a positive or a negative review. And you should respond to all the reviews, positive or negative. Someone says, oh, my God, I tried your product and it was fabulous. Thank them for leaving their review. Someone says, I tried your product and it was horrible. Reply to them. Offer them a refund. Offer them an exchange. Don't just leave it out there hanging. If you show that you've done your best effort to make it right, the people reading the reviews will understand. Uh, the most common thing that we see are zero, like one-star reviews, with no comment whatsoever by someone who the business doesn't even know. Flag them as inappropriate. Respond to them. Hey, uh, 
would love to make this right, but we don't know who you are. Uh, I don't think you're a customer, but if you are, please, you know, call this number, email us, we'll make it right. If you're not a customer, please take this review down. Don't be afraid to put that in writing and put it on Google. Because there are people that just click buttons and drop zero-star reviews, and they don't even know they're doing it. Well, one, one time I remember I, I, I was on the phone, and you know, you know how they have those brief surveys at the end? I think what happens in their survey, usually like one is the lowest and five is the best, but for some reason their thing was inverted. But because yep. I was so trained, I put the wrong one in, and then I and I didn't know how to undo the survey, <laughs> you know. So I kind of hung up in the middle, hoped it didn't record. But part of it, I guess, is I noticed that people aren't necessarily on top of the comments because I, I've gone to websites, look at the comments. And people didn't thank people for writing a good review. And I certainly no, most, saw most people. Most people don't. And you should. You should engage with that customer. Well, what's interesting is like I remember going to a couple of different places and seeing some kind of really negative comments about all kinds of whatever, product service, whatever it is. And there'd be like a whole pylon. And I'm like, is anybody, my first reaction was, was anybody at the company actually paying attention to any of this? Probably not. And yeah. where you really see it is Facebook. So, for instance, I have a, uh, one of the rescue groups we do work for, someone dropped a pit bull off. Um, they, cha- they literally dropped it off, chained it to her fence, and walked away in the middle of the night. So she gets up in the morning, and there's this mean pit bull tied to her fence, and the pit bull bit a couple people while they were trying to untie it from the fence. It had to be put down because it was just vicious. Uh, and, and they scared. didn't take it to a shelter. They dropped it to a private rescue because the shelter would have not, never taken the animal in. Shelter would have said that dog has to be put down. So someone who knew the dog and knew who dropped the dog off put a post on her Facebook page, you know, where's the dog? And the dog had to be put down because it was vicious. Oh, you're an animal killer. And all of a sudden... She has 100,000 posts from across the country, people telling her she's an animal killer. You know, they come out of the woodwork. They've never done business with her. They've never adopted a dog from her. They don't know her from anyone. But because she put this evil, mean, vicious dog down, she is public enemy number one. And they destroyed her reputation. We, we ended up turning off reviews, and then we ended up literally having to take her Facebook page down. Which is a shame because most of her adopt the dog placements are done through Facebook. So in that kind of situation, is it, almost, is it better to sort of go out of business and then just start another one under a different name? In her case, she basically went out of business. The rescue could not recover. They fought it for three years and they literally gave up and shut it down. Which is a shame because all she did, I mean, she had a dog training business and on the side she did rescues and all they did was take one more rescue solution out of the mix for some for some poor dog that can't get rehomed. And the state she is in is not a state of no-kill shelters, so the dog ends up in a shelter for 30 days and gets euthanized for no reason. And it, it's just a shame. I mean, you've got to, before you post a negative review, you've got to think about that business and the fact that your little tiny negative review could turn into a landslide and put somebody out of business. Was it really worth it? I don't think your people. Pizza, your pizza was delivered cold. If you call them, they'll bring you another pizza. Don't smash the business because they delivered cold food. Pick up the phone. Now, as a lawyer, yes. I've actually had to deal with some of this stuff because clients have shown me reviews. And, you know, I can't go into that on the radio, but I could tell you that from the business owner's point of view, sometimes. These reviews, especially if they're either not from a customer, like you said, or not fact-based mm-hmm. or not full disclosure. Okay, it, 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 could be, it could be totally fact-based. But if it's a disparaging review and it puts this business in, out of business or reduces their income or hurts them financially in any way, in certain states, there's recourse. What's the, what is the story in New York, if you know? I don't know what it is in New so, York. So you're talking about Yelp. So yep. Yelp is a California, San Francisco-based company. If you are on the west coast of the U.S., you have to be on Yelp. 
you have to be paying Yelp for ads. You've got to be working with them to build your reviews. It's the do-all, end-all, die-all. The problem with Yelp is there are a lot of fake reviews. And what you're talking about is about five, six years ago, the New York State Attorney General cracked down on Yelp to remove all of the reviews that it couldn't prove were legitimate reviews by real people. So today, if you have a Yelp account, and I have one, and you've been a Yelper for a long time, I've had Yelp since Yelp was new, in New York State, you can't get a review to stick. I can't leave a review and have it stick because I don't Yelp at least once a week. So if you don't have a ridiculously active Yelp account, your reviews are not going to stick. All right. Well, speaking of sticking, please stick around. Keep it locked in. WCWP 88.1 FM. This is Taking Care of Business. Richard Solomon with Darcy Knapp. We'll be right back. And we're back, Richard Solomon with Darcy Knapp. Okay, so we were kind of talking a little bit about animal rescue. And I know that you're heavily involved in animal rescue. Why don't you talk about what you do? Um, Well, we work with a number of different rescue groups across the country. Uh, Everything from horses and donkeys to puppies and kittens. And we do a lot of pro bono work. So when the rescue group needs help with their website or needs a new website, as long as we're not having a crazy week, we fit them in. And we don't charge them. Um, I think it's really important that the critters that are out there in crisis find their way to a, a, their forever family. Kind of corny, but that that's where we, we find our happy place. We also do a lot of pro bono work for military, for, for vets. We do training classes. Uh, especially for the vets that are returning, that are trying to start their own businesses. We do web basics. We do business basics just so that when they come out of their military world and they hit the real world, which now is the new real world, they have direction so they don't make mistakes, so that they own their own websites and they own their own domain names and they're not buying through some company in some foreign country that, that's going to take their money and never give them product. It's it just education at that point so you that, do that's you, you do hear a lot of stories of you know they took my money and they never delivered a website or they gave me a website that wasn't functioning or they just i've, I've heard them all yeah you're going to go to fiverr.com have something done in india for five dollars you're going to get what you pay for right if you're going to build on wix or weebly or any of the drag and drop site builders don't expect to rank. They're great for business card sites. Uh, a business card site is a site that no one needs to find except someone you've given your business card to. But if you are going to build a site in the real world, you have it built right. I mean, don't don't waste your money. So you know, e-commerce, there's so many different platforms. But if you cheap out and go to something like Square or Shopify, understand you're not going to have the SEO and the powerhouse behind it or the support. So it just really depends on again. Figure out what your goals are and work backward. Get consulting time. Make sure you're going in the right direction. I don't care if you don't want to buy the site from me. Talk to me. Let me point you in the right direction so you don't waste your money or your time. So so while we're in this particular moment here, what are the biggest mistakes that people make that you end up having to clean up and fix? Um, they let their web company own their domain name. Worst one was a dead webmaster because once your webmaster is dead and you're trying to get your domain back from a registrar, you have a big problem. You don't own it. And they will not talk to you. And, of course, the password is with the deceit. doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, dead webmaster is the worst. Second worst is divorced webmaster because now his ex-wife owns your domain. Good luck. Uh, you want to own your own domain. You want to own your own hosting account. If you don't own it, it's a business asset. You're crazy. People just don't understand. I mean, a hosting account's 100 bucks a year. Whether you own it or the webmaster owns it, it doesn't matter. But if you own it, it doesn't. you can have a different webmaster every day of the week, and you still own it. If they own it, you're kind of at their mercy to get anything done. You just do it smart. You're not going to buy a car and put it in somebody else's name. You want it in your name. It's your asset. 
Well, you only want to put it in somebody else's name if you're reckless. <laughs> Uh, no, because when you want to go sell it, if you don't own it, you can't sell it. True, true. So, so it, it, it's just being proactive. Don't take a picture off of Google because you did a Google free image search for a kangaroo and Google says this is a free picture of a kangaroo and you put it on your website only to find out it's a Getty image and you owe $1,200 for using it illegally. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'm going to jump in for a second. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and they had some letter from some copyright owner of some kind of intellectual property, mostly pictures. Mm-hmm. And they hired a kid to do some kind of social media web, whatever it is. And turns out that they used the picture and it was not royalty free. And it may have been a picture of somebody famous, a historical figure or whatever, but it wasn't public domain. And then all of a sudden they're being hit with a, potential lawsuit and they truly don't understand why they can't use the image. And you have Google to, said it was free. I can use it. Google said so. Right. Everything on the internet is free. Music, pictures, that. content. <laughs> oh, bad, bad, bad. You put you put music under your video that you don't have a license for and YouTube won't even publish it. Or they'll publish it and three hours later they'll figure it out and they'll take it down. Right. Or they'll say like, okay, so I had something where I did a, a documentary on a very famous musical band with an expert on this musical band. And in one version, we actually inserted some of the songs, you know, right. So of course I got this thing that that said blocked worldwide. So, so then we recut it and put it back to just, you know, just the, the, the expert. Take out, take out, take out the underlying music. Yeah. We took out all that, but it did, it did detract from the doc, but it was, but it was not for a commercial purpose. And it was not, it wasn't really. Again, yeah. you're talking about yeah. robots and, and yeah. artificial intelligence making decisions on YouTube. Right. So, so the robot's not going to care how or why that music was inserted. All the robot knows is I have this music on file. This music is copywritten. You cannot use it. Right. And then my favorite was because I do a lot of musician interviews. Um, I'll do, I'll do a, a interview with a musician. We'll place, they'll bring the CDs in of their own music. These yep. are all original artists. And we'll say, hey, what's this song? Oh, it'll be, oh, this, this is my new song, you know, new song. And then literally we'll put the video together and then I'll get a thing that says you're using copyright material. And I have to put, I have permission. And not only do I have permission, but the author and inventor of the music introduced the song. And then you still have right, to Right, but the again, who owns, yeah. who owns the copyright? So well, they yeah it, yeah, it, it, yeah well not always. I mean, sometimes it's their publisher, yeah, but yeah. So yeah. it's it, it's just it's just YouTube saying, yeah, we don't see a license, so we're not going to let you run this. It, they're just trying to protect the copyright owner, right? Well, you know, with a website, there's no protection. You're going to publish that website with those four pictures that you took off of Google that Google said were free, quote unquote, and they're not. And the owners of those images are going to all send you a bill, and you're going to lose. It's not worth hiring a lawyer at that point. If they want $1,200, reach out and tell them you have six. They'll probably take it and close the case, get that picture off your website, and don't be stupid again. I can't tell you how many people had the that that letter, you know, read to me by mm-hmm. email, fax, whatever, and it happens all the time. It's 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 much more problematic than people realize. Well, and on top of that, right now, what you have are scammers. You have uh, I saw one this week where you have scam emails going out saying you have an illegal image, pay me or else I will sue you. And these are scammers. These aren't even real people. Wow. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff on the web and you just have to be really careful. How, how do you avoid on the, in the websites that you do all the spam bots and all the other stuff? Cause even when you put in these, like, are, you know, are well, you, you put, a- you, you put a captcha in and that stops most of them. Uh, we use Cloudflare for DNS, which allows us to block countries. So unless you have a client operating outside the U.S., if you're running on Cloudflare and you tell it block all entrances outside the U.S., that generally solves the problem. Because uh-huh. these bots are out of country for the most part. So while we're still on the topic of the do's and don'ts and the pitfalls, what what are the other – I mean, the one pitfall I've seen is definitely – uh, other people's intellectual property. You've seen not owning your own uh, internet URLs. What else have you seen that's really problematic? Bad stuff. Um, content. 
don't copy and paste somebody else's content onto your website without rewriting it. Um, what, what about look and feel? Um, you can have the ugliest website in the world if you have a product that someone wants and a price that they're willing to pay. It doesn't matter. If you want to create that long-term top-of-mind awareness, you need something that's memorable that someone doesn't say, ew, when they come to your website. Uh, we've, I've seen sites, oh my God, we're doing one, uh, waiting for contracts to come in, we're doing one either this week or next week. Uh, the site is built in frames. The site is 15 years old. 15 years ago, people built in iframes because that's how you built a, a site in the front page. Uh, the site hasn't been changed. It doesn't work on mobile at all. <laughs> <laughs> on desktop, it looks terrible, uh, but these sites still exist. The biggest pitfall, 50% of businesses out there don't have websites. Start there. If you're in business and you don't have a website, I don't care if you go get a free website at Wix and put up one page. Get something. Don't not be out there because today people, it's the phone. They're, they're not getting in their car and just driving around anymore. Oh, no. no, that's... They're not walking up and down the street anymore. You know, we're not going to networking functions and events at this point. So it's not like we have to get lunch on the way or dinner on the way back. It, it, it's, it's a totally, it's the same world, but it's very different. For as, as phone-centric as the web is and was, going forward, it's going to be 10 times. Let's talk a little bit about um, newsletters and contacting your client base. To some extent, everybody wants to have a newsletter. But on the other hand, as an end user, which is constantly flooded with special offers and coupons and newsletters and updates and, you know, like, like, so I, like when you're doing a newsletter, if it's a monthly newsletter, only send it once a month. Don't, don't blow people's inbox up. Uh, biggest mistakes. Don't send it on a Monday or a Friday. People have limited time, limited attention span. Don't send it at 9 o'clock in the morning. They haven't had their coffee yet. Don't send it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You're going in the trash can. <laughs> yeah, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And if you're sending it once a month, send it once a month. If you don't have something to send on a given month, great. Recycle one from six months ago and say, you know what? We did this six months ago, but we think it's really important, so we're resending it to you. Don't be afraid to resend. Uh, but but don't hit people once a day or once a week and make them crazy. What what do you think of the newsletter as a concept? Um, I love my newsletter. I love it and I hate it. I hate having to build it every month. But every month it drops and you can hear the cash register ring. Or the phone ring, either way. Um, but, the but, newsletter goes out and it has va value to the end user if they read it. So my newsletter went out for June. It had, we just got licensed for new visitor tracking software. So if you're B2B and you want to know what other companies are on your website, this will track back IP addresses and give you contacts. Great way to figure out who's on your website today because today they're on your website before they're calling you, if they're calling you, and you want to get them before they make a buying decision. So you give them value added. We give them a two-week free trial. Everybody that wants one can have one. And then we give them some information you know, whatever the tip of the week is, tip of the month, and some local events, and that's it. Not overloaded, push it out once a month, keeps you in contact, and what I find is I'll get, so my, my newsletter goes out, goes out to about 30,000. I'll get probably 10 to 12 replies, where they're actually replying to the newsletter, which is really funny because it loops through constant contact and comes back to me, where, you know what, I was just thinking about you, I forgot to do this, can you fix this on my website? Gee, we talked three years ago about a website. Can you give me a new quote? You know, uh, I have a problem with my Facebook page. Can you fix it? So every time that newsletter goes out, I get a flurry of activity. So I've learned not to send my newsletters out before a holiday weekend. Okay, yeah. So when I looked at my July newsletter, it's going out July 1st, which is a Wednesday. That gives me Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to cover <laughs> whatever comes in and then Holiday weekend, I'm fine. But, but does that matter now? Because there's no big Fourth of July parties and barbecues like uh, there used to be. Yes, yes, it does. Because when you look at small businesses, they're still working, Got and it. they're still going to take the fourth 
which is, I think, a Saturday this year. So they're still going to take the 4th and 5th and try to shut their doors. So, now, if you're working from home, you're still working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, depending on the company you work for, whether you get the day off. But holidays are still going to exist. People aren't going to skip Christmas or Thanksgiving. Uh, Black Friday, good luck. It's going to start probably the 1st of September with sales. <laughs> and if everything's online and you can get it all bought the first week or two in September and it's going to show up in your Amazon delivery or your UPS delivery, you know, by October 15th, you don't care, it's for Christmas, your shopping's done. Because if COVID rears its ugly head again in the fall, you don't want to be sitting around October 15th, have them have a, a, a reboot and not be able to do your shopping for Christmas. And now you're fighting everybody for whatever's available on the web. You're going to see Christmas come way early this year. And you're going to see things like out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. Yeah. Well, that's why Christmas is going to be in September this year. For, wow. for, for the e-commerce stores that rely on fourth quarter businesses coming in Q3. If so, you're not planning your August and September sales right now, you're already behind the eight ball. In the last three minutes, one of the th speaking of newsletters, in the last three minutes yeah. that we have, I've always noticed that you have things about jobs fairs in your newsletter. Could you talk about yeah. that for a little bit? Because I don't, I, you know, I'm not in the Albany area, but yet I still read it, and I'm like, wow, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that around here? So we run two regional job fairs, April and October. Our April job fair got moved to May, got moved to June. Now it's in July. <laughs> <laughs> but phase four should end right around July 15th. We're going to go July 22nd. So we've got an extra week in there for cushion. Um, it's just a regional job fair. We also have it online. So all the recruiters that are at the job fair uh, on the website, you can apply online to any of them. You don't have to wait till the job fair. We also collect resumes from anybody that can't come in or if they're out of the area because these are regional recruiters, but they work for national companies. So if you're trying to find a job in White Plains and you can't go out to a job fair because there's not going to be a job fair in the metro New York area for another two or three months, you don't necessarily have to get in the car and drive two hours. Just send us your resume. We'll circulate it to everybody. And, you know, it, it, but, unemployment's at 15 to 20 to 25%. There's going to be a lot of people looking for jobs. You're one of the few people that I've noticed that in this particular region of the country actually do you know, periodic jobs fairs. How come no one else is doing it? Uh, well, the newspapers do it. I, I, don't, um, I don't really see that down here as much. I really don't. Okay, so, so in my market, uh, the, the, the Hearst paper, which is the Times, does seven, eight job fairs a year. Um, we've done two a year for, oh God, I don't know, six, seven years. Um, it's a hobby of mine. It's, it's something I do because I have a lot of connections with a lot of recruiters from my days in radio. And it's just a lot of fun. All and right. it works. I mean, yeah. if, if we can get 500 to 1,000 people through the doors and they can all get hired, half of them can get hired, that many more people back to work, not sweating over putting food on the table, that's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. And then... With that, we, we must end. All right, so throw out your contact information one last time in the last 30 seconds. Uh, Darcy Knapp, SEOWebMechanics.com. Uh, if you Google me, you'll find me everywhere. The office line, 518-872-1707, Monday to Friday, 8 to 6. Uh, weekends, if you can catch me. All right. Richard Solomon, thank you for listening.